Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It is football and random things on another Monday from the Carl Chevrolet studio in Ankeny. I want to remind everybody that on Saturday at Whiskey River in Ankeny, we'll be having a game watch for Iowa State's upcoming contest in Morgantown, West Virginia against the West Virginia University Mountaineers. The 3 p.m. kick. We'll have all sorts of drink specials. And with each Iowa State touchdown, which hopefully there will be many. One would expect there to be many. Of which hopefully there will be many. They will be giving out free apple pie shots. Ooh. That is at Whiskey River in Ankeny on Saturday. Us and the boys from Wide Right Natty Light. If you came to our first game watch at Buzzard Billy's in downtown Des Moines, make sure and bring your punch card that we gave to everybody. We will punch your card again. You'll get your proof of second attendance. If you were not at the first one, we'll get you a punch card. I have a whole bunch of them, so. Oh, you did, oh, a whole punch of them? That, would, you say, would you say you had a whole punch of them, Jared? I'm too tired for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're recording a little bit later on the day on Monday uh, than usual, which explains the no live feed, um, because Jared was at Kansas City, Indianapolis last night and just red-eyed back. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, obviously Sunday night football. I love watching Sunday night football at home. Not sure how I feel about watching Sunday night football in the stadium. About three hours away from where you live yeah. as well. Yeah, it, it was an awesome experience. Every time I go to Arrowhead, I forget, I forget how loud it is in there. Just the how it traps in sound. Mm-hmm. It truly is a remarkable place mm-hmm. to watch a football game. Uh, but after many hours of indulging in adult activities in the lots outside, I, it was a long day. I would assume on the drive back or the ride back. Yeah, I was riding. It was uh, probably less than comfortable as the noise then became the din of a car ride in the dark on I-35. Yeah, I went to sleep. Good for you. I did go to sleep. I was not... Not, not w- looking to stay awake for that entire experience, but it was, it was a fun time. Do you know who was awake? The Cyclone offense on Saturday. The Iowa State offense was awake on Saturday on their way to a 49-24 win over the TCU Horn Frogs. Look at me just pulling us back onto the rails. Yeah, good job. That's the first time that's ever happened in the history of this podcast. And as impressive as they were in the win over Louisiana Monroe, this was undoubtedly Iowa State's best performance of the season. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is, um, as a, an analyst, it is almost, it's easier to talk about stuff. And don't you worry, we've got plenty of content lined up that's going to come out of this brain. Uh, but it's easier when you have something like Baylor, when there is a thing wrong that you can actually say, like, this is a thing that's wrong and this is how mm-hmm. you can fix it. Um, and for those that read the register column piece that I put in every week, the, the premise of this this week is every coach in the history of football has, has said, hey, you know, the reporter asks, hello, coach, what are you going to have to do to beat other team today? And the coach goes, hey, great question, reporter. Uh, we're going to have to run the ball and, and win the turnover battle. Everything starts up front. Like you've heard that exact phrase or, or something with those two stop the run and win turnovers, um, like in every coach's thing ever. Right. 
And sometimes people are like, well, they just take it because it makes sense. But um, why do you want to do that? Because when you do that, you get what Iowa State did on Saturday. When you have the pieces around like Iowa State does, like the, the, the cornerstone of the offense is undoubtedly Brock Purdy. Uh, I mean, clearly, you, we were talking before we started recording the statistics that he, the dude is putting up is not just Iowa State good. It's not just Big 12 good. It is, I mean, recent history good. All of college football good. And that keystone of an offense exists significantly better when you run the ball with someone else and when you get an offense that exists multifaceted beyond that so being able to run the ball and this is the the second time that iowa state has won the turnover margin in a game so their three times they did not win the turnover margin were one point victory against northern iowa or uh in what triple overtime and two point loss to iowa and one point, or excuse me, one point loss to Iowa and two point loss to Baylor. They lost the turnover margin in those games. The games that they have won the turnover margin were the drubbing of ULM and the drubbing of TCU. So when they are able to take care of the ball and win the, and get the ball to be turned over, this team is unreal good. So mm-hmm. running the ball and stopping, or running the ball, stopping the run and turning the ball over uh, or getting turnovers. If you mix those three things with Iowa State playing football, they're going to be incredibly difficult to beat by anybody because of how they play and the keystone being a quarterback. So add a run game to that and it becomes real dirty. Yeah, we'll talk more specifically about the Iowa State offensive and defensive performances. We'll start with the offense when we come back on Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. We can start. All right. Welcome back to Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Jeff, there's something that we talked about in the spring that I think deserves to be brought up again after Saturday. Was it us being right about something? We are, yeah. It it is something that we were right about. Okay. Let's talk about it then. Number eight is good. I want to talk about number eight. Wait. He's good? He is very good. Yeah, we, we were way out in front of that one. I mean, it was one of those things when you go to, um, when you would go to a practice or you, or you go watch a scrimmage or something like that, the, the guy that just jumps out of the, off the page or jumps off the field uh, was number eight. I mean, he was, he, he's the most accurate route runner. He's phenomenally smart. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I would assume if he's that smart on the football field, I would assume he's that smart in real life. Like he's a dude that would, is just sharp. Yeah. And not only that is he's got uh, and I, I again we were talking before we started to kind of get a gauge on where we wanted to go with this that the attribute that I'll say about number 15 is the same that I'll say about eight yeah. is there they both ride the the very successful line of being really happy that they're doing well but not being satisfied that they're doing well mm-hmm. so like the the guys that come to mind are you know you do you see like a post-game interview with like Bill Belichick always just seems pissed off that he's not doing well. But granted, he's the best of all time, uh, greatest coach of all time uh, in in pro football. But like you listen to you know maybe a, like a Russell Wilson like interview where you can you can tell that he's pleased with what he did as a performance and like you know we won we we did pretty well and you know I'm, I'm really happy the offensive line blocked really well defense played well and uh, you know I, I'm glad we came away with this win. And then the next question is something like uh, you know you 
you played, you know, you threw only three incompletions. Like, yeah, you know, we, I only threw three incompletions, but I know that there's more that we could do better. So it's that line between being satisfied with success or being happy with success, but not being satisfied with success. And you watch number eight and number 15, when they complete a great play, when there's something that they do, there is always one, let's go celebrate with our teammates. If it's a touchdown or something like that. And two, let's go next thing. Yeah. I just did something great, but next thing like that, the play where it gets tipped up to the, where the, the play gets, the ball gets tipped up. Deshante Jones catches it with one hand behind his back, runs out of bounds. Unbelievable play. Another guy that's not quite so, you know, focused on improving would have used that as an accomplishment to like, look at, you know, how good am I? Like, how good did I just do where he's like, okay, well, I just did that. Let's, we didn't score yet. Let's, mm-hmm. I'm happy that that happened, but let's go score more points. And so that's the way he carries himself. And so you take that intelligence with that drive to continue to get better. Um, and he's incredibly dangerous because that is the counter to Tariq Milton. It is being able to have the underneath threat where, I mean, Deshante Jones still caught a, a few passes down the field, but he has what, 30 some receptions on the year. Yeah. Okay. So let me give you some statistics here. Uh, Deshante right now is the Big 12's third leading receiver with 37 receptions and 444 yards. Uh, both of those are third in the Big 12. Who are the first two? Uh, Tylen Wallace and someone from, someone from Texas Tech. No, CD's like 11th. Okay. He's behind Charlie Kohler, which is actually an interesting, wow. another interesting tidbit. Uh, he is on pace to be the 11th player in Iowa State history to have multiple 40-catch seasons in their career. Uh, and, and will and will most likely be the 20th player to have 50 receptions or 21st player to have 50 or for, for the 21st time someone having 50 receptions at Iowa State he's the first Iowa State player with 35 plus receptions and 400 plus receiving yards through five games uh, in the college football reference era and then I think the thing that's the most impressive and this just speaks to the consistency that he has played his entire career with mm-hmm. as of now Deshante Jones is sixth all-time in receptions with 145 career receptions, that is. Uh, and I would say with the way that he has played so far this season, second place on that list is, is achievable. He's not catching Alan Lazard. I mean, it'd be tough for anybody in, in context of Iowa State history to mm-hmm. ever catch Alan Lazard. Uh, but he could very – he needs 31 catches to move into second uh, and pass Todd Blythe. And then he is ninth all-time in receiving yards – and will more than likely end up in the top five. And he did that while sharing... When, while being second fiddle. It, and even then, you know, in 2016, being second fiddle might not even be the but best way to put it. He fiddle. was third fiddle behind Allen and Hakeem. And then, I mean, and then even then, okay, so here in 2017, there's been two seasons where Iowa State has had four guys with 40-plus catches. I did a lot of research this morning. Obviously, Alan Lazard was one of those guys, Trevor Ryan, Hakeem Butler, and Marchie Murdoch. The other one, weirdly, is 2014 when uh, Jarvis West, Alan Lazard, uh, EJ Bibbs, and DeVario Montgomery all had 40-plus. So, like, yeah, that, was a, that right. was a heck of a crew right there. But uh, So... Deshante has never been, until his senior year, he has never been the guy. Mm-hmm. Never been, you know, someone that, when he would make a play, it was almost a bonus. Yeah. You know? It and, was, hey, let's cover 18. Oh, shoot, number eight's open. Or let's yeah. cover number five. Oh, shoot, number eight's open. 
It's right. always the other guy that was being shifted away from with coverage. And then on Saturday, he had 10 receptions. Brock completed 19 passes. Deshante Jones had 10 receptions. The other nine guys that, re- that caught passes on Saturday. Each had one. Each had one. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the craziest stats I think I've ever heard. Yeah, you look at the in a college football game. You look. I, I was going at the end of the game. I, I remember noticing that. Like you pull up the the statistics for the game, and you're like, all right, and uh, wow, that's a lot of people that caught a ball. Uh, oh, Deshante, number ten, and then one, 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 and all the way down. Yeah. So uh, he is, and the crazy thing is, is like we were saying, he doesn't catch the ball down the field that far. I mean, he can. He will probably catch a, a you know a post pattern for sixty, but most of his completions are underneath just because he uh, understands the way this offense works, and so th- finding a small window nine yards down the field, that's where he's at his best. Is it's the Julian Edelman role of you're not catching the big play, you're taking a small play and turning it into a big play. So number eight is you know, again we called it in spring of just a guy that is unreal. And I think another thing that people will underestimate, he's bigger in person than you expect yeah, him to be. Yeah. Like he's, you look at him on built. the, you look at him on the field and you think like, I mean, oh, he's a little guy. He's, he's what listed in the depth chart. What? Five eleven? Yeah. Five eleven, probably about a buck 85. Yeah. Like that's not a small human. He's just around a bunch of enormous humans, but he's a pretty thick guy as far as being on the, when you stand next to him, you're not, oh my God, he's, he's such a small, fragile, delicate flower. He's, he's a guy that can hang around in the middle of the field and not yeah. take a damage. And that's what I was going to say. I'm confident that when Deshante's career at Iowa State is done, he has a future plan on And even if he's on not Sundays. even if he's not drafted for some reason, he's he is one of those guys that for sure like the way that he plays reminds me of Hunter Renfro. Yeah. That's the guy that comes to mind is is Hunter Renfro the most athletic, fastest, most explosive guy? Not even a chance. But what Hunter Renfro does is he is extremely sure-handed and gets to the right spot at the right time. And if you get to the right spot at the right time, timing and ball play, this is, again, Tom Herman's number one thing that he would preach to quarterbacks and the offense is timing and ball placement will beat any coverage. Is if you get to the right spot at the right time and the ball's put in the right spot, it, you cannot defend it. See, and that's what, like, I was watching the, obviously I was watching the Chiefs last night, mm-hmm. and this is something that I was just thinking about is that their receivers, they have a bunch of good receivers. Mm-hmm. They have guys who are good at catching the football. And obviously Tyreek Hill takes that offense to an entirely different level just because of his pure speed that he brings to the football field. Mm -hmm. But they do not have a guy outside of Travis Kelsey who is a dude that you say, get to the sticks and we'll throw you the ball. Mm -hmm. It's like Sammy Watkins. Sammy, run down the field. Start running. Uh, Nicole Hardman, start running. And and it's just like they've got these guys who are really fast and are really good in those types of scenarios – but they're not as good, and that's where you start to see them get into some trouble sometimes because Pat Mahomes starts getting his ass kicked. And he that's, needs to get rid of the ball in yeah. two seconds instead of five seconds. Right, and, he, and they just don't have the time to throw the ball down that field. Mm-hmm. That's where he would – I feel like Deshante could come in and really help someone in a scenario like that. It's just a dude who – you put him out there on third down, it's like third and six, and it's like we just need to get six yards to keep this drive going right now mm-hmm. and keep our defense Again, off, it's, off the it's field. Again, it's the Julian Edelman role. Yeah. It's, if you have a guy that can – and I don't, you don't mean to be like scrappy slot back, but like there are ex- exploitable holes in every defense. Right. And finding them is the key. And when you have a guy that can find them almost all the time, I mean, I don't know how many, how many targets did he have? Uh, he had 11 targets for 10 catches. Uh, I got 12 on oh, okay, the 12. second. So 12 targets with 10 catches. And one of those, keep in mind, he did catch the ball, but he went out of bounds 
trying before. to come back. Yeah. Okay. So then yeah. that would have been theoretically would have had 11 receptions on 12, but one didn't count because yeah. penalty. Um, so 90% of the time, if you throw him a ball, it is going to be caught. That is a really ridiculous statistic mm-hmm. because that usual target to reception ratio, if you're getting up into 10 receptions, you're going to, it's the Kobe Bryant thing where you're going to take 31 shots to make 11 or take 31 to make 11 shots where he's getting the ball targeted to him 12 times catching 10 of them or 12 times catching 11 of them. So it's uh, his ability to find an opening in almost every defense. It is a Swiss army knife. It's a way to, to take the, what David Montgomery did with the running game last year of, Hey, 32, we need five. Yeah. Go get him. It's right. this Deshante is the guy now that is the, Hey, we need nine yards. It's, it's, you know, or even it's first and 10. We just got a first down. We need to keep this momentum going, get to a short down a distance situation so we can take a shot to Tariq Milton or right. so we can set up a big play action pass. Hey, Deshante, we need a second and seven or we need second and three, get seven. That's the, that's his role. And it's, he is phenomenal at it. All right. I'll give you another crazy stat. Last year, Hakeem Butler threw five games, 18 catches, 372 yards and four touchdowns. And like I told you, Deshante, 37 catches for 444 yards and, eight, and one touchdown. The fact that he had, has two times as many catches as Hakeem Butler had at this time is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. But this one is even crazier. Tariq Melton threw five games this season. 17 catches. Almost the same. 374 yards. Almost the same. And two touchdowns. That's, so he has more yards, two fewer touchdowns, and one fewer catch than Hakeem did at this time last year. And he's doing it in a totally different way. Yeah. Because Hakeem, and we all know, we watched him play, it was this spectacular. Like, nobody does spectacular like Hakeem Butler, but nobody does routine like Tariq Milton. Mm-hmm. And that ability to, with, with Milton, he is now a threat to be reckoned with, to actually be concerned about going down the field. And this is one of those things, and I was joking before, again, as we're trying to plan this episode, um, how many I told you so's do I get? And with the people like panicking about this offense, I don't think at any point in this season have either one of us been like, hey, I think there's, there, might, there might be some real holes in this offense. It's like, guys, just wait for a second. We, there's a lot that has to develop with this team so far. Things that had to develop. They had to develop a wide receiver presence that can go down the field to replace the Hakeem Butler role of whoever goes down the field. We thought it was going to come from LaMichael Petway, potentially, uh, or Tariq Milton. Well, it happens to be mostly Milton, but Petway can do the same thing. And Darren Wilson has actually shown that he's able to stretch when he needs to. Uh, total side note from this, I told you so. How about Landon Akers? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That was, that was he made fun. a great play on that on that, that swing. so much yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, like to watch Landon. because Breaking that tackle, I was like, dang, dude. Okay. It's yeah, he, he took his dad's shoulder pads off. Yeah. Um, but we all, we've, we've heard. <laughs> they finally got him out of Troy Davis's <laughs> shoulder pads. <laughs> we've, we've heard for a while, like, guys, Landon Acres really, really fast. Yeah. And he hasn't had the chance to actually show that. And he finally got the show, like, look, boy can run. Anyway, um, so you look back at they needed a deep threat. They need somebody to be able to replace the Hakeem Butler, the Randy Moss, take, t- take the top off the defense. And they found that in mostly Tariq Milton and now with. Michael Petway. So it's a little more spread than it was last year. It's not quite all Butler mm-hmm. and, you know, Matt Eaton's kind of picking up the scraps. It's, it's more 60, 40. They also needed a, a go-to. They needed David Montgomery of at some point that, well, one half of David Montgomery when it's again, that third and four, the real thing we we're just talking about with Deshante, it's, we need 
a small sum of yards badly. Okay, well, now Deshante Jones is that guy that we need a small sum of yards. We need something to happen. Find him. There you go. You have that element of the offense now figured out. You need a running game. That's still sort of in question. Can I give you a stat about the running game? Sure. Through five games in 2018, 492 yards and five touchdowns. I would imagine all of that basically was David Montgomery. And Purdy. Well, uh, well no, Purdy no, didn't he, start he, until no. uh, Oklahoma State. Through five games in 2019, 798 yards and 10 touchdowns. So they're running the ball more, but a lot of that is Brock. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Brock has 200 of those yards, so he would still, there would still almost be 100 more yards from the running backs than there was from last season. They also didn't kick the absolute shit out of somebody no, like they and, did LMU. But that's, I'm just saying, and it's not the perfect stat, but that is one of those things that you, we think how much, it's like, man, this running game, really struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like they're having a really hard time being able to create some space for, the, for these guys. And then you see that and you're like, what are we remembering differently from last year? Like, yeah. it, it seems like they had so much more. I mean, but that's just how good 32 was. Well, and know? yeah, rose-colored memories. And I think the thing was um, the, the way that he would go about it and the, the context with which he would take those plays of when you needed something and there's literally nothing else that happens, yeah. he was the guy to go to it. So we remember him like, again, we're seeing Deshante Jones now of the critical components. Those His seven yards were different than um, all the, the, you know, Brees Hall's seven yards because they come at a different time. Mm-hmm. But they needed to figure out, again, a, a, a take the ball down the field. They needed to figure out a throw, a, a critical need yards go to, and they need to figure out a running game. And all of this had to go through the prism of Brock Purdy because he was, he is going, and he was going to be the linchpin of the offense where again, last year it was 32 and 18. He was the catalyst to something that would just get it to bigger playmakers where he is the playmaker this year. He's the guy that is now setting the table and delivering the goods. So they've now had to, it took a little bit of time to figure out what the offense was going to look like in all those areas. And I think they've settled mostly on all of them, except that consistent, a consistent running game. They've got it, but it comes in spurts and fits. So if they're able to, if Johnny Lang can continue to play like he has and Kanata Wonga can get healthier, I think those are the two guys that will end up doing most of the lion's share of the work. And Sheldon Crony is the, the Jeff Woody memorial role of, yeah. hey, buddy, it's third and 12. There's not a chance you're going to touch the ball, but we need someone to block. You want to go out and do that? Johnny looked better in the second half than I think he has most of the season. Yeah, he was he was seeing it better. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily that he was making better moves, but he was giving himself better access points. Um, I've never seen someone run effectively in the way that Johnny does. His strides are the shortest I think of any human being I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he's not very tall. He well, I mean, yeah, he's like five seven, like. It, but it's remarkable. Like yeah. you, most running backs, the, even the, Maurice, the short ones. The Maurice Jones drew. Yeah, like even the short ones, usually like Darren Sproles. They still take long strides. Darren Sproles doesn't. Yeah, well, yeah, but he's three foot eight. Darren Sproles is he also. Just, he actually runs between. If Johnny is as good legs. as Darren Sproles was when Darren Sproles was a senior, then Iowa State is going to be in for a real treat because <laughs> Darren Sproles <laughs> was really freaking good. Uh, but it, it's just so funny to watch him run sometimes because you're like, you're like, man. I feel like you shouldn't be fast. Like the turnover on your feet has to be so quick for you to cover ground and run away from anybody. Uh, but I do think when we look at this offense and it just, 
once you look at some of the numbers, it like really puts it into perspective. And obviously, like you mentioned, you, you kick the crap out of Louisiana Monroe. Some of this stuff is skewed a little bit, but I do think, and it'll probably go down a little bit over the season, but you can still take some of this and just, and, and fully understand how good this, this team has been. Averaging 487 yards per game, which Iowa State has never had some, had an offense average, I think over 400 per game, let alone over 450. Mm-hmm. Uh, averaging 37.6 points per game. Again, they scored 72-1, and one, so that's a little bit skewed. There's one offense in the history of Iowa State football that has averaged over 30 points per game, and that was in 1976. Uh, and then Brock Purdy leads, uh, leads the Big 12 in passing yards at 315 per game. Iowa State's passing offense is sixth in the country right now. And that's only going to get better. And that's, uh, if, yeah. if they continue to establish a consistent running game like they have start again like they they started to figure out against ulm and then regressed a little i would say significantly against baylor but that was also um shout out to bryce meeker again i'm gonna say meeker and the the right side of that offensive line played leaps and bounds better this week than they did against baylor and i don't know i mean again some guys just have you just have a shit game like I don't know, something like, you know, you go play pickup and you're like, you can't make a shot next day. You go out and play pickup a game and again, and you can't miss like it just it, human error happens and you just have bad games. And so Meeker came like the past, the trend of the games for the past, what, four you've seen pretty good, pretty good, bad, mm-hmm. really good. So that right side of that offensive line really held up, but because they've started to figure out a consistent running game, what a a consistent running game does is not only does it take pressure off of Brock Purdy to have to make all the throws, it puts them in down a distance situations that are significantly more advantageous with Brock Purdy not having to do anything. And so you're second and seven or second and five or second and three or first and 10, first and 10 without Purdy having to do anything, which has allowed him to kind of rest and recover a little bit. So he can be at full explosiveness. He doesn't have to sprint every single down or throw. How many passes did he throw against Baylor? 40 some. Yeah, I think so. So he's not going to have to do that much fatiguing movement. He can throw 24 passes. I mean, the dude completed 19 out of 24 passes and had two passing, two rushing touchdowns. Like that is what a, that, that is an ideal game for Brock Purdy because it's balanced. He doesn't have to do everything. And this consistent running game is going to continue to elevate that passing game because it's going to force teams to not just do what Baylor did and play all right, well, you're not going to run it anyway. We're going we're gonna to drop eight, and we're just going to protect. You're going to have to figure out how to move the ball down the field. So they're going to have to then put more people in the box. So this consistent advancement of the running game, plus Brock Purdy's efficiency, plus more defining, identifi- identif- defining and identifi- identifying characteristics of the receiving core. And I think credit again, I think the fact that um, Chase Allen is getting healthier or healthy finally we're seeing what that tight end and Saner, I think, is also getting healthier. You can see what this tight end group is and is going to be because all of these guys are underclassmen mm-hmm. and they're all it, it's another one of those guys like when we're, when we're on defense and we've said like, hey, if you want to be entertained, just watch number five. If you want to be entertained on offense, when number 11 is in on like around the like with his hand in the dirt or like as, as a blocker, just watch number 11. The dude is a pit bull. And it's fun to watch him fight. And he's because he's going to end up if he gets if he doesn't beat the guy entirely, he's going to get beat, but then scrap back to like end up coming back to beat him. So um, 
this tight ends group is helping in establishing this ridiculous running game that, or this, this could be ridiculous running game with what they have now. So this, this balanced offense is only going to make this passing game better. Quarter, Big 12 quarterback since 2000 with 165 plus passer rating, 70 plus completion percentage and 100, on 150 plus attempts through five games. That is really just to simplify those statistics for those that aren't sure. Really what that just means is consistently great. Yeah. Uh, you'll know some of these names. Daniel, Mahomes, Smith, Whedon, Greer, and then Cody Hodges, <laughs> Shimanek, and Graham Harrell. There's a trend there. There's a, a one school that has produced a large number of those guys. Uh, Taco Tech? But there's, yes, Taco Tech. Uh, but there's also a handful of guys who were consistently Heisman candidates as well in that group. Not that Brock Purdy at this point is a Heisman candidate, but he is putting up those sorts of numbers right now. You know what's kind of cool, too, to think about? If Iowa State was 5-0 right now, he would be a Heisman candidate. I think I'm so, confident too. in that. Uh, you know what else is kind of cool about this? Um, when you look across who he's throwing to, yeah, everybody except Deshante and Petway that has caught a, even a moderate number of passes is going to come back. The only guys they lose are Petway, for, for again, for next There's still plenty of this season to go, mm-hmm. but he's a sophomore right now, and he gets everybody back. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, that's, he's the only sophomore. All the rest of those guys were seniors, and Pat Mahomes was a junior when yeah. they were doing that. And so he gets... So he's the only sophomore who's done that. And he gets, again, everybody back. Yeah. So this is... I, I think people, again, let's not crown him the greatest of all time yet, but appreciate how good Brock Purdy is and has been. This is where when, when we're hearing, oh, put Real Mitchell in, it's like, why? This guy's like historically good. Yeah. Well, he, and, and through 13 games, he's sixth all time in touchdown passes at Iowa State, and he's ninth in career passing yards. Speaking of Real Mitchell, 13 games. We did see him play a little bit yeah. sparingly. I think it was just two snaps in one a receiving role and one as a direct snap while Brock Purdy was lined up as a wide receiver as a Wildcat. That I, I would guess that that's a total water to see how this could potentially look if they wanted to introduce a package with him in there. I feel like they're set up plays almost. They are, but they're also, I think that that Wildcat, I think that here's hypothesis here. This is based on literally no inside information, but when you were looking at prior to this game, which another thing that they did really, Iowa State did really, really well, they were five for five touchdowns in the red zone. That is something that was one of their big struggles coming into this game is they'd get into the red zone a lot. What was the statistic? They were like five out of 19 or something like that coming into the game. That was inside the 40. They are, they're actually 22 of 23 on scoring in the red zone. But touchdowns. Yeah, I think they're, I uh, have it pulled up. But going, coming into this game, they would get the ball down the field, but they'd run into a wall somewhere. 16 of 23 on scoring touchdowns in the red zone. It's inside like the 40. They've been inside like the 40 and the 20 a lot and not been able to score. But once they get inside the 20, then they can score. So regardless, when you're looking at short yardage down to distance situations or critical need to get situations, you need to have a go-to package. You need to have something that works. And I think when I was there, it was the, the package was sort of built around what I could do and then play actions off of that. When Arnaud was there, it was, you have a 240 pound quarterback and then a Rob is running back or, you know, whoever, whomever else. And you can build the package around, we're going to run our quarterback downhill, or we're going to run, you know, Woody to get whatever you're going to have those short down and distance situations or those need to get situations. 
Iowa State does not have that. And I would assume that what they're trying to do, Rayel Mitchell is not, again, when I was playing, I was 245. Arnaud was playing, he was 235. Like, you don't have that big masher, but you have physical guy. You have three tight ends around. You can have a fast guy find space, mush behind someone. Mm -hmm. And Wildcat sets are, generally speaking, going to draw the entire defense in. And so if you can develop a Wildcat package that will do a couple things very, very specific things. Like you're not going to run Wildcat as your predominant offense down the field. You're going to run Wildcat. Ronnie Brown ain't walking through that door. Exactly. You're going to run Wildcat in very specific situations. We need one or we want to presume the look that we are giving that we need one and we're going to throw it to somebody. Rayel Mitchell satisfies both of those needs. Um, and that's why Dave Montgomery last year, when they were on the Wildcat, Montgomery played quarterback in high school. So if they wanted to throw with him, they could have, but they didn't. Or when the Joel Dozer came I was in. Say, think about another, yeah. I mean, I've when the Joel Dozer started. came in, it's again, you have those specific looks that you're, you're not running the Joel Dozer all the way down the field. You're, it's, all right, it's third and one, it's third and two, it's second and four. We want to get this really close. It's in the red zone. I would guess that that bubble pass, they're going to run six more times at some point, and then they're going to double pass off of it. But that Wildcat look is going to potentially, I think, test the waters of what, how defenses are going to react to it. And if they could throw out of a Wildcat look on short yards down in down distance situations. Like, for example, when, when I talk about it's a short need to know thing, when we played Nick Florence, is it Nick Florence? Um, when, at Baylor, when he was the, it was the quarterback yeah. after Robert Griffin. Yeah. And Pet, it was between him and Petty. Uh, I think it was Florence. Yeah, you're I, right. I think you're it was Nick. Nick Florence, yeah. So we beat them that year, and it was in Ames. And if I, I know that I caught one touchdown, I think I had another first down on this play, but it's third down. They put me in. The defense condenses because the package that was run with whenever, whenever 32's in the game, I guarantee the scouting report is 32's in the game in short yardage, they're probably going to give it to him. Well, they ran, Baylor would run this cover zero whenever we get there. They'd run everybody tight to the line of scrimmage. They would literally blitz everyone except they would have one linebacker. Uh, they played man-to-man everywhere, and they'd have one linebacker that would kind of hover around and just kind of shadow me. And if I was blocking, then he would add himself to the blitz. So we developed a play off of that, which we called jab, was we're, I'm going to go fake like I'm blocking that guy. Once he adds to the rush, I slip by and someone's going to toss it over to me. We caught, I think it was uh, maybe like a 15-yard touchdown reception, something like that. I don't know how far it was, but it was fake like, fake like it was a physical play and slip out. That is what Rayel Mitchell's package could end up being, is that physical play, but you cannot completely commit because you, there's some chance to dump it over the top because he's a quarterback. So I would guess that the Rayel Mitchell outside is potentially seeing if they could set something up, give him open space, set up a double pass. But that Wildcat package is potentially something. That might be a thing that stays around to try and develop a short yardage or a critical need to get. Like the Tim Tebow jump pass. Right, back when he was a freshman. Yeah. It was... Uh, is it Leak? Yeah, Chris Leak. Chris Leak was out there, and he was the better quarterback, but they wanted to get Tim Tebow on the field. Again, Tebow was like Arnott, where he was a bigger quarterback that you had to send a linebacker to tackle. Mitchell's not that guy. He's fast. So it's now a little bit more elusive, but it's still, he's a quarterback in that you could you could throw out of that. Like you could even could just straight up drop back because Mitchell is, is another advantage. So it's a tweak package that he might get four snaps a game. Need to get Brock Purdy out there running the, running the, uh, running the streak. Four verts. Oh with yeah. Brock Purdy. Number 15. Yeah. Send him. 
Go. Put him on a slant across the middle. <laughs> yeah. Send him at slot. 15 of them hit right between the one and the five. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it was a fun game, though. That, that TCU defense, I was underwhelmed by well, that, that group. The, the, I think the, that was just how good Iowa State played. Well, and I, I also, again, credit um, the Iowa State offensive line that TCU is always the biggest thing about that four two five that they always have is what was the guy last uh, is it like a weird last name uh, he was a he's a draft pick he's a anyway he was um, he was a first he was a first round defensive end draft pick I yeah his last I name. know who you're talking about I just don't know his um, name but they have a guy they they've always consistently had a guy like that like what was it the dude that ended up transferring to Louisville that was the freshman defensive player of the year that was a while ago but like they always have one guy that's a really good sack artist that you have to that they can do the pseudo equivalent of what Iowa State does and just bring their four and then they have five defensive backs in the field so they can gamble a little bit with their linebackers and it seems like a base defense but they can play with a lot of freedom in there the Iowa State offensive line uh, yes there were two sacks but those sacks came on Purdy slipping. They, for the most part, they defended or they, they blocked extremely well. And Julian Good Jones this season has played as good a football as Julian Good Jones has ever played, which is nice to see out of a senior. Mm-hmm. So credit the Iowa State offensive line uh, to make the, the, the linchpin of the TCU defense getting pressure on the quarterback to make that nullified so they could find space back there and just beat the hell out of them whenever they wanted to. Absolutely. All right, we'll take another break. We'll be back to talk about the Iowa State defense on Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Welcome back to Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Going through Iowa State's 49-24 win over the TCU Horned Frogs on Saturday in Ames. Look ahead a little bit to Saturday's contest with the West Virginia Mountaineers in Morgantown. Well, Ryan Vance is good at football. This is accurate. I think that's he's the most pleasant surprise to me this entire season of a defense that we expected to be good. We knew they were going to be a really good defense, but we didn't. I didn't think that 34 was going to be as impressive as he has been this entire season shoot he was listed to be a backup coming into camp midway through camp he was listed as backup but he he's just balled out and to the point where they couldn't keep him off the field and now he's put himself in a position where I would guess if he continues to play like this he's going to get all conference nominations at some level and Orion Vance might be putting himself in position to potentially be a borderline all-american yeah he's he's fifth in the country in sex and a lot of those sacks are intelligence-based, intelligence-based sacks, yeah. not like physical, I'm going to, you know, just be Khalil Mack and just like punk somebody. It's he is spying the quarterback. And then once he sees that the defensive ends or the posi- the other rushers have gotten themselves in position to find the like like to contain the quarterback then he pluses himself into the rush and at that point the coverage is good enough that he only needs like two seconds to get to the quarterback and there's a sack so his ability to be intelligent when to rush and when to stay back has stopped good running quarterbacks from going anywhere like um 
Duggan, the kid can scoot. Mm-hmm. Like he can run, but he had, he didn't have, I don't know how many rushing yards he had, but he didn't have many. He had a couple good runs, but. But most of that was limited yeah. by Orion Vance's shadowing of him that when he did try and run, he was forced to not because he saw 34 matching him step for step. So not only is he getting a, doing a great job of getting to the quarterback with intelligence, he is doing a terrific job of containing them when they're not. And he's playing well in the run game, but all the linebackers play well in the run game when you're playing behind Ray Lima. Um, but I, I'm super pleased with Orion Vance, and I love that he's an Iowa kid too. Like just, it's just another little cherry on top. Like, you know, I'm super happy for Deshante Jones too, but it's nice to see like, you know, an Iowa kid stay in a in-state college and do really successful things for, you know, a school that his family can come watch him. You know, 12 of his family members can just drive over and watch him every single week. Between him and Mike Rose, the, I mean, those two are both dogs. Oh yeah. I mean, dog dogs. And they're, those are big SOBs. That's what I'm saying. Like that by the time both of those guys are done, they both have like all American potential. Mm -hmm. They have, they have the size, athletic ability and attributes to play at the, at the next level. Yeah. Like Marcel Spears, as good as he is, he has got his work cut out for him. If he does want to play at the next level, he's going to have to find a niche and find a, a team that's going to take a flyer on a 210 pound, 205 pound, however big he is. Maybe he's 220. I don't know. But like take a, a slightly undersized outside linebacker. He'd almost be like a sub package type. Right. Guy. It's, he's going to have to find a niche where yeah. Orion Vance and Mike Rose are both, what, 6'2", 6'3". Yeah. I, well, Orion Vance might be listed at 6'1". Like anywhere between 6'1", 6'3", 240, 245, but run like deer. I mean, they're, they are AJ Klein build and play. Like that's who, that's who Orion Vance reminds me of is AJ. And then Mike does, I, he doesn't have a guy that, I, I, no one comes to mind with Mike Rose because he's so versatile in what he does. Maybe a little bit of Jake not, but Jake was more of a true inside backer that he played really, really well in the box. And he, it's not that he played poorly out. He just never really, he didn't do that as much. He mm-hmm. played Will and he didn't do as much outside of the box as as um, AJ. AJ or as um, uh, or Mike, as, Rose does, as yeah. Mike is doing now he's playing I mean especially with that the 3-3 three, three, he'll be out of the box six out of ten snaps so yeah. he's playing almost like a safety at 240 pounds it's unreal I mean that both of those guys are fantastic well in his open field tackling I mean he's he's really good one-on-one mm-hmm. I mean he had a couple times where uh where the, you know, Anderson was trying to get the edge and he would come in there and, and was able to get him by the leg and just get him on the ground. Mm-hmm. And especially one was inside his own five or 10. Yeah. That was, yeah, it, it, both of those guys are super impressive. I think another guy that I would, I, I mean, we, we kind of have to shout out is Blake Peterson. Yeah. Zach Peterson. Zach Peterson. I keep missing up the Petersons and I don't know why. Yeah. But Zach Peterson had a hell of a game at defensive end just because he's an effort guy. Like he is the quintessential effort defensive end. He's 255. Yeah which is big. It's a big human, but it's not a big defensive end. But the dude just doesn't stop. I was like during the game on Saturday, I just couldn't get the the feeling out of my, or the thought out of my brain. Iowa State has not gotten those guys very often. Like those dudes from in-state that just play way harder than everybody else. And they like turn out to be freaks. Mm -hmm. Uh, They always went to the other school. Yeah. And that's like, that's all I think about. I was like, this dude is like, like a Drew Ott type guy, just mm-hmm. like it plays so hard and he probably has some, but he, and then he's just like works his ass off and, 
and is kind of crazy. Yeah, and is oh yeah, oh yeah. Like you have to have some like Jake Latimer is the guy that he reminds me of. Yeah, and so Laddie was kind of crazy, and but it just he was so successful when he was playing in the way that he played because it was he was strong, he was athletic, but it's like 300% effort. And that was straight up, it was best exemplified where the dude's on kickoff cover. Yeah. Like he is a defensive end, a starting defensive end is on kickoff cover, which is totally rare. Like one, DNs just generally aren't on kickoff cover in the first place because they can't get down the field as fast. They have two, two defensive ends on kickoff cover. Who's the, oh, well, um, McDonald's McDonald McDonald together. And so you have, but like a, a, your starting defensive end is on kickoff cover. And I think we've had this conversation every single time uh, that we, he, they'll line up for kickoff and we're sitting next to each other in the box and I just look across and I'm like, if I'm on kick return, I'm like, all right. Because you usually count like inside out or outside in um, from one side to the other and you're like, all right, one, two, shit. That's where you're like, Psst. Uh, hey, Jeff. Jeff, you want? You want to trade? You, you want to trade? You want to switch me? Hey, uh, let's, let's twist this. Let's twist this. Yeah. Yeah, because you look at 55 and you're like, son of a bitch. That guy's like... 30 pounds heavier than I am. And he's running four or five down the field. I don't want, and he's, and the, the other part is he's, there's a screw loose. Like yeah. a, a guy like that there, when he's on the field, there's a screw loose. Like he doesn't know when to stop. Like there's no self-preservation. I it, imagine there's, he's the guy that's like screaming as he's running down the field, <laughs> just like at full speed, just all out like tribal yell. And like there's, when you're going to make contact, like some, you know, you want to, you want to put something into the other guy, but like you can't go full speed into it because like you'll, your shoulder will fall out. So like this like little self-preservation, you're going to, you're not going to put a hundred percent into it. You're going to be like 99.9%. The dude puts a hundred percent, like you guarantee that he's putting a hundred percent into whatever direction he's going. And yeah. if he misses, he's going to get up and put a hundred percent into recovering into it. And like, that's why he got that fumble caused is because there's a dude on kickoff. So he was the one that caused the fumble that Rory yeah. Walling recovered. Um, shout out Rory Walling, Des Moines East. Um, in that play, because he was the front side of that play. So the, TC was trying to return that ball to the right side. Blake Peterson or Zach Peterson is on the right side. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Well, that means you have to move him out of the way. And the guy that was supposed to block him, didn't like he, he did, tried. What, did what every other human that has even other football players that have like tried to play on kick return they don't want to hit that dude nobody wants to hit that dude so he like tried to like to to do something without taking the full brunt of a helmet to the ear and just missed and then peterson got a fist in the ball ball's gone well and that's what's crazy is that it he is running at full speed towards a guy who is arguably the best kick returner in college football and is able to, while this other guy is like kind of allaying him, like mm -hmm. running at full speed, is able to reach his hand out, get a hand on the ball and rip it out and then fall down and have a guy laying on top of him. And he's still like the first person over to get the football. And it's like when you watch the highlight from TV, you're like, how did he do that? He is. He is. Uh, that's a guy that you can win with those guys. Yeah, that's how you win. And, and the difference between being you know a good team and a great team is that a guy like peterson who you know on a good team is 220 and trying to play defensive end dude's 250 255 yeah. and he's again what a sophomore uh yeah so he's got more years to yeah. go and more weight that he can add on but that crazy doesn't turn off so it, you have a guy like that that can continue to play at a high level he filled in very well 
for Jaquan Bailey mm-hmm. when Bailey wasn't able to play? If I made a list of human beings that exist on the earth right now that I would not want to see in a dark alley, Zach Peterson would probably make the list. Like, he's just got that. Against a degree of crazy. Yeah, where it's like, I don't want that guy. If that guy asks me, tells me to give him, give him my wallet, yeah, okay. I'm not asking any questions. There you go. Yeah. Bye. I don't even care if he has a weapon. Bye. He is a weapon. Yeah. He's going full freaking speed. No, he's, he's fun to watch play, and uh, it's nice that he's on our side yeah. and not against somewhere. Yeah. And I think, you know, it was clear late in that game that uh, – after Eisworth got hurt, did you just pop your neck? Yeah, I did. Did that show up in the... Oh, yeah. I, yeah, that definitely was... That was my I neck. heard that on the microphone. Cool. So, you're welcome, everybody, for that <laughs> sound. I didn't think it was going to show up. I thought it'd be silent. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hello, Ms. Lady. But after Eisworth got hurt, you could see that they really stopped being as aggressive going after the quarterback, and they started to give up some big plays and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. TCU got back in the game, and all of a sudden, Coach Hickok's like, all right, yeah, no, we're done. Nope, not doing this anymore. He's like, he's like unleash the dogs again. Mm-hmm. and Unleash the dogs, and then right away, uh, you know, Orion Vance goes and gets a sack, and they uh, – Maybe fumbled again, or I can't remember exactly what happened. The fumble was on a kickoff. Yeah, okay, so. It was touched, because TCU went touchdown, 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 and then special teams turnover stopped that entirely, and then they went three and out, three and out. Yeah. So after they went touchdown, 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 they went fumble, punt, punt. Yeah. And they went a grand total of six, zero, six, eight offensive plays for eight yards and two punts Mm -hmm. after having scored three touchdowns in a row. So, yeah, Haycock just... It was one of those things where it was like ratchet up. Like, all right, we were giving you a chance. Yeah. You could do this peacefully. And then it's, you know, one of those things where like, it, like if you take a fight metaphor, where like a dude just bleeding, like just eyeballs po- about popping out of his head. He's blood coming out of his ear. And the guy kind of stands up and like, let's just take this to the end of the game. Let's get to the end of the round. I'm not going to, well, I'm not going to kill you. And then the guy comes back and lands a couple punches. And it's like, does the whole like, all right you want to do this again? <laughs> and then just ratches it back up again. And they went back at it. And the cool thing is, is I think the rotations they, they had were, they were better. Yeah. Um, that I think 26 played a majority of the 26 and two played a majority of the snaps. Uh, they did rotate in, I think it was 19 maybe. Uh, they took <laughs> Mitchell they, Walker did they, not play much. No, but they took Johnson out after he gave up the first of those two touchdowns, or maybe it was the second one. I can't remember for sure, but it was the one in the South end zone. And then when they were going back the other way towards the North end zone, uh, they put Keontae Jones in mm-hmm. and literally on the first play, they threw a touchdown to the guy that and Keontae was covering. Then he went back in. Yeah. And then when Jalen Rager's really good. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, both of those plays were awesome. Like, can't, can't fault him. Like no. I'm sure that hey, as a coach, you can be like, Hey, you know, you need to do this better. You can do this better. And like challenge the guy. Cause Anthony Johnson can handle a challenge, but he did. He covered Rager on that play about as good as he could. Yeah, a, a guy's gonna do what a guy's gonna do. It's one of those things where you know. Again, I use basketball metaphors, even though I don't, never played it. But like, you can cover Clay Thompson as much as you want, and you could put a hand like like three inches from his eyeball, and then he makes a three, and you're like, you know what? Good job, buddy. Like, mm-hmm. ain't nothing I can do about that. Yeah. So a guy's gonna make a play. A guy's gonna make a play. And so Jalen Rager's really good. But I I think one of the the really impressive things that we've talked about with Anthony Johnson being a gambler, um, it, he got 
I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't even call it burn that first touchdown that he gave up but um later there was a pass that looked like it was could have been a pass interference because you know the quintessential two plus two equals four of the balls thrown behind the guy receiver comes back to make a play equals a pass interference boy that's usually because there's the assumption that the defensive back is going to continue playing through the through the offensive player well two plus two did not equal four in this one because ball was underthrown receiver sort of started to come back but johnson threw the brakes on and never didn't play through the receiver the receiver just stopped and like jumped up to try and draw a foul but johnson magically threw his hands up in the air and just stopped and he's standing straight up he's standing straight up in the air it was beautiful i mean you could not have played defense better than that and the kid is he has continued to get better Mm -hmm. as the season has gone on in being appropriately aggressive like you don't need to do everything so you know double hand jam like everything's a full body like you can be aggressive and you can be a dick but like have uh, again use that Richard Sherman example is like Richard Sherman could be a total prick when he was in the field but at the same time he would over gamble when he knew he had help or he would if he knew that he could have makeup speed against a guy or if he knew he was going to miss all miss to the outside force this guy inside then I'm going to recover like he knew where he could miss and so uh, Johnson's starting to learn where he can miss and as he's improving a little bit in how much he can miss so we thought he was good early i mean the, the, he's getting consistently better um and i thought two played his probably best game of the year as well it was just being in coverage being where he needed to be um the secondary played pretty well i would say especially because that is i mean jalen rager's damn good player mm-hmm. he's not a guy you really want to screw around with so his the entire defense for the most part again guys are going to make plays I, I thought Max Duggan is going to be a, he's going to be a really he's going to be a problem. Yeah, he's going to be a good player. He's going to be a problem for a lot of people. But it was nice to see that Iowa State could contain it really, really well yeah. when they wanted to because they're going to see similar offenses down the road to what TCU is. It was really funny that they when they took him out. I mean, he was having a hard time. They were sending a lot of stuff at him. Yeah, and uh, that was an ultimate. All right, freshman, you think you can handle it? All right, let's mm-hmm. go. And. Uh, you know, he's getting sacked. He had, there was the fumble on mm-hmm. one and, uh, we take him out and, uh, put Delton in and they kept him in for like two drives and he was like four for five for negative two yards passing. Yeah. Well, what's funny is that they totally switched the way that they were playing defense as yeah. they saw that. So when Duggan was in, they threw the kitchen sink at him. Like there was not two plays that were the same back to back. Yeah. Everything was different. Like the sack fumble, um, well, Ryan Vance was the one that caused the fumble, and Wazarike <laughs> picked it up. A Razuruki. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that that thing has never been. That name has never been said the same twice in the press box. <laughs> funny. Anyway, uh, but Ryan Vance was on the the as you're on the defense. If you're looking for, let's say, you're looking from the quarterback's side, he was about. And if twelve o'clock is straight ahead, like right over the center, he was at like two o'clock. He ended up getting hit from his backside, which would have been at nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. So they slanted the entire defensive line, brought outside pressure from, I think, Rose. Uh, no, it was uh, Lawrence White. Uh, Lawrence White um, brought pressure, which was picked up. And then Vance looped all the way around that other around Lawrence White, but got there in because they condensed the side of the defense. He got there in, I mean, it was two seconds. It wasn't it didn't take long, yeah. but it was insane because that look. They didn't do anything like that when the senior came in. They just played straight back. They were like, all right, bud, 
I dare you throw yeah. it beat yeah. us yeah. I dare you and so whenever when the senior was in they played really passive like they rushed three or rushed four and dropped everybody else they played that quintessential Haycock defense of you know rush three drop eight and just made him made Delton because that his he does not make good decisions well I was gonna say they know he's just not that good he, they, he doesn't make good decisions that's yeah. why he's a backup to a true freshman and so they're like all right come on buddy yeah you can throw it I dare you you throw it right here you can throw it to this running back out in the flat. No, you can't. It's going to be a two-yard loss. Yeah. And then they put Duggan back in, and they still played a little bit passive, which is when they started to have that success. And then they ratcheted it back up, started throwing the kitchen sink back at him, and they stopped him dead in his tracks. Yeah, it's crazy just how, I mean, the way that the, each time that they would come to the line of scrimmage, they would have a different group of guys up there in the holes and like just showing blitz. And then, and, when would, it and then half of them would fall back. And, and when then, it was the same, yeah. it wasn't, and when it was the same look, it wasn't the same end result. Yeah. Like it was the, you know, the Venables last year against Alabama or Clemson, Alabama is they would show something. I'm going to show you my, it's cover two. It's, you know, it's a normal, simple, crazy. It's not that it's, it's right. It's a regular defense. Mm-hmm. And then on the snap or right before the snap, it's like they just shook the snow globe and just started throwing everything around. It's like, oh, God, where, why is the linebacker covering the flat now? He was just an A-gap. What is happening? Yeah. And everything just mixed up. And that's why Duggan started slowing down, started thinking, and did not work well in the first half. Played passive. He played well, got aggressive, and he didn't. Last thing before we kind of like preview West Virginia, I want to like shout out, because this is the first time that you can say this really from an Iowa State, the Iowa State coaching staff, as far as building a program, has been really, really good. But there have been people have had concerns, or like there have been, um, you know, why is they calling X plays? Iowa State's coaching staff, offense, defense, and special teams outcoached TCU. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think anybody objectively looking at that. And I don't know what I don't know what Gary Patterson's post game interviews is. I think Gary Patterson's one of the guys that I would love playing for because he's brutally honest. I don't know what his statements are, but I would assume that he admitted like we got out, we got out coached. Yeah. He said, uh, he said something, I have the quotes over there, but, uh, he said something along the lines of, I told Matt after the game that they kicked our butts and they did. It's like in every phase, he's like, they just, they completely dominated us. And that was what was cool about that. Again, and normally if, if Iowa state pulls off an upset, it's cause you know, some, we found like one niche and exploited it and like, you know, whatever. But the, 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 the situations, again, we talk about that, that, like, when Duggan was in, what defense they ran, and then when uh, Delton came back in, what defense they ran, and then they switched back and forth, and they just, they had a, a, a move, counter move. There was no, there was never any point when, all right, you know, let's see what happens if we do this. Then offensively, we, they could tell when TC was being aggressive. They could tell when TC was being passive, and they matched perfectly going up and down the field with that aggression and that passiveness in their play calling. So Iowa State offensively, defensively, and special teams, they outcoached TCU, and that was, again, Gary Patterson is one of the best coaches in college football history, I would say, and he doesn't lose that coaching matchup very often. So props to the Iowa State coaching staff to visibly and directly outcoaching the other opponent. Yeah, this was Gary Patterson's opening statement on Saturday. Quote, as I told Coach Campbell, they kicked our butts. Every face. Pretty simple. Not much more you can say. And that's an, admi- that, that's an admission of Gary Patterson saying, like, look, I'm lumping myself into that, too. We, got, we all got beat. And it was funny, too. So it says somebody asked about the improved offense in the second half. He said, quote, we started going downfield, and I think they lightened up, and we were making, and we're making sure we, they, uh, you don't get beat. 
they didn't apply pressure like they did earlier in the first half. Yeah, it's that, again, we're identifying they were aggressive, and then they backed off, and then they're like, all right, fine. Yeah. We're done with this. Let's go after him. Yeah. It's like the he was basically saying to the reporter, he's like, did you watch? They basically stopped playing. <laughs> <laughs> the other, and I think I've been on record as saying, like, I don't have my Iowa State nut cup anymore. Like, I've, I've taken it off, I've whatever. And it was nice to know that I didn't regret that decision of taking off the nut cup. They went touchdown, 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 TCU did. But I still didn't feel like it was a game that was – oh, we're going to blow this one. And then they didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where, you know, they, they did what they needed to do. They, they allowed a few things. The ball bounced the other way a couple times, then snap back, win the game. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Is that a, a new song you just wrote? No, it's, it's good. It's a, you should put that on wax, bro. It's Eminem. Eminem already put it on. Like the candy? What do you see from West Virginia? Uh, they are, it's like West Virginia light. Like they're a team, they're what they have been in the past few years. They're just not quite as good at it. Um, and Iowa State has historically played West Virginia pretty well, uh, other than, you know, when Tavon Austin was there. Um, but they've, West Virginia likes to live on the downfield passing game. This year has been a little bit different where Iowa State's been more susceptible to that in the past than they have been. Right. But there's, that's still a thing or the thing that they are consistently the best at defending is if you're going to try and throw it down the field, we're just going to have the most, uh, we're going to have an aggressive enough defense that's going to get to you or they're going to keep the ball in front of them. So I don't think Iowa St- or West Virginia's offense stacks that well up against Iowa State's defense. Um, and then I think if Iowa State's offense continues to click like they have, mm-hmm. they Really, I mean, you were mentioning this historic level numbers that they're at within Iowa State's history, but also within the Big 12, they're really good. And I don't really see that that's, that slows down unless there's a significant lapse. You know, maybe, again, somebody has a really bad game. Like Baylor, Meeker didn't play well. Again, comes back against TCU, plays really well. So if unless there's, you know, a horrible game by one or two people, I think this offense is going to continue to progress. Um, so as long as they don't turn the ball over, like, again, they did against TCU and they did against LMU and they won the turnover margin. If they win turnover margin, I think this game is relatively comfortable. But if they allow mistakes and they turn the ball over, then that puts them in a position where they're going to have to scrap and fight and, and battle their butts off for a win. So take care of the ball, run the ball, you win the game. All right, man. You're going to come hang out with us on Saturday at Whiskey River? Depends. So I'm waiting to... This is the what was auctioned off for the... Um, fundraiser before the season mm-hmm. um that is the game watch this weekend so we'll see where uh, annette and the tailgating crew that i'll be going to watch the game with where they want to go if it's whiskey river great if it's not whatever i'm gonna go enjoy some stuff but also one thing so when we the the, the intention was um that cycle fanatic was going to spot like up to it was i think it was 80 bucks of like a bar tab and food um for whatever this like this and then i'll watch the game but um she wanted to donate whatever that was to the U of I Children's Hospital through Carson King. So oh. shout out. So not only donating to a family that had cancer to quote, get the experience, which again, I, experience is a weird term for me to say about myself, but then donating that money again back to the Children's Hospital. So shout out Annette. It's cool. There we go. That's awesome. Uh, I also need to mention uh, October 17th is the day for the annual Cyclone Fanatic tip-off party with our special guests that come to all of our parties, well, not all of our parties, our kickoff and or our recruiting and tip-off party. So that will be fun. 
uh, at, at the district venue connected to Whiskey River in Ankeny. October cool. 17th. It's a Thursday. Uh, it would be two, or it's one week from Thursday. Mm-hmm. So everybody come on out and we will, uh, we will have some fun and talk some hoops. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jared. I will talk to you maybe on Saturday. Maybe. Maybe we'll not. Maybe. We'll maybe not. Well, even we'll if see. I'm there, I, might talk, might, I still might not talk to you. I don't know why I would even want to talk to you anyway. You can shove it. You can shove it, Jared. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you guys again soon. Peace.